This week's episode is the second in a two-part series featuring previously aired interviews of healthcare companies and physician owners sharing their lessons learned with a new facility, building a practice, owning and operating their own real estate. As we transition this podcast into the second season, I look forward to continue interviewing clinicians and investors. We'll also include experts in healthcare real estate syndications offering a wealth-generating passive investment and other resources with valuable information to consider when investing in the asset class. Every healthcare real estate decision needs to be made with the exit strategy in mind. Throughout the life cycle of owning, leasing, operating, acquiring, and selling, industries full of professionals that can help. While there are fees involved for services, some are performance-based, but I believe all pay for themselves at the end of the day. We healthcare real estate professionals have already made the expensive mistakes, constantly aware of changing market conditions, and have relationships to put together for your specific strategy. All of this allows clinicians to focus on their first day job, avoid a second day job, and benefit from those of us in the trenches of the healthcare real estate asset class every day. This is the theme for our next podcast season. The goal of the healthcare real estate industry is to consciously implement and execute real estate strategies efficiently, effectively, and conveniently for healthcare organizations and clinicians. Using so many cliches, help us help you. We really can diagnose, treat, recover, prevent, and heal all healthcare real estate ailments. Most importantly, though, we can make it thrive. This is the Providers, Properties, and Performance Podcast, the podcast that brings together leaders in healthcare and investment real estate to consider the possibilities and future at the intersection of practicing medicine and healthcare real estate investment returns. Welcome to the Providers, Properties, and Performance Podcast. I am your host, Trisha Talbot. As a healthcare real estate advisor to providers and investors, the best solutions occur when the two collaborate together as partners in delivering better patient care. Providers can deliver care to their patients when and where they need it, and investors realize the returns to build and manage facilities. We explore changes in medicine and wellness, the future of healthcare, and using real estate as a strategic and financial tool. Episode 41, A Clinician's Perspective on Healthcare with Alejandro Badia, MD. Part one of two. That was definitely in my mind, but I'm also in, in very centrally located now. It's a small city uh, called Doral. It's just west of the airport. It's right near the Trump Doral Hotel. Uh, <laughs> and uh, the, the interesting thing is it's in the, the only real industrial area of Miami-Dade County. So I'm literally minutes away from a bunch of manufacturing facilities. The, there's about 400 aviation companies, flowers that come in from Latin America, and they get packaged here. So all these, at least for me as a hand surgeon, you typically only work a few minutes from here. It just makes sense. Uh, I mean, before I was in a very residential part near one of the big hospitals, but my patients were traveling. This location really makes a lot more sense. I'm very excited to bring you the next two weeks of episodes interviewing Dr. Alejandro Padilla. Dr. Padilla is an orthopedic surgeon focusing on hand and upper extremities based out of Miami, Florida. He operates Badia Hand to Shoulder Center, the Surgery Center at Doral, and OrthoNow, an immediate orthopedic care center. During the pandemic, he finished his book called Healthcare from the Trenches, an insider account of the complex barriers of U.S. from the providers and patients' perspective. His goal is to generate awareness and educate us on how insurance companies and government regulation are causing healthcare costs to skyrocket and how it affects a clinician's ability to provide care. Alejandro, welcome to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. 
First off, I feel I need to apologize for calling you a provider after reading your book. I'm just not sure how to connect clinician with a real estate term off the top of my head right now, but uh, uh, apologies if that's inappropriate. But uh, I didn't know until reading your book how it's better to uh, term to call physicians clinicians than providers. Yeah, well, it's, that's why that's why I put it in quotes. But it's become a um, it's sort of insurance term, which I understand, right? Because we, we're providing that care, but I think it's important what our, our role is in society and for, for patients. Actually, most physicians still like to be called doctor. I mean, it's, it's you know, we're moving too far away from those Marcus Welby days. <laughs> yeah. So just so my, um, the audience knows, get a little bit about you, you're a hand and upper extremity orthopedic surgeon. And how many years have you been in private practice and how many years did you work uh, at a hospital? Yeah, it's a quarter century now. I've always been in private practice. I, uh, I have a lot of respect for my colleagues going to academia where they're teaching more and more research, but, but I've done those roles, and I think you can do that in private practice. And um, one of my concerns is that there's a kind of a dying of the pressures that, that I talk about in the book. So I've always been in practice. I co-founded a group called Miami Hand Center, which, which uh, grew to the point where, like many physician practices, disbanded, like divorced, but it's all good, and I started my own center and then afterwards, I got a need for something beyond my practice, which I'm sure we'll talk about, which is ortho now. So my hand and upper limb practice called the Dia Hand to Shoulder Center. All right. So you're based in Miami, Florida. And like you said, you have three companies. You have your private practice clinic. You've got a surgery center. And then is it urgent care and ER or just an ER for orthopedics? Well, you know, it, the, the term is orthopedic urgent care, but what's interesting is we, we moved away from that term because people assume that it's all urgent, and it, it isn't. We have people coming in with, you know, two years of back pain. I want to be pain, so what it is is easy access, so we call it orthopedic walk-in center. And then uh, reading your book, uh, you started these as an entrepreneur to make the most efficient use of your time and make your surgery schedule more efficient for you and, and take more control of your compensation as well as provide better care for your patients. And I'm assuming at uh, more economical costs than going to the doctor or, as you mentioned, um, going through the route of the primary care physician first just to go through a bunch of unnecessary therapy and, and things like that. Yeah, there's just uh, so many hurdles that patients have to jump over to get care nowadays. And it's... Uh... Because I see a lot of international patients, and ironically, they go through less of that than we do. So we're we're continuously making our own healthcare system more complex. Even though I I firmly believe, as a proud American, that we really have some of the best, if not the best, healthcare in the world. But that it, it's become so cumbersome. So that was a goal that, well, at least with Ortho now, is for people to start the journey in the right place. And then if if something is complex, or well, then they would be routed to somebody like myself. If it's a knee problem, they would see my colleague who sees almost exclusively knee problems, right? I mean, kind of who you want treating, you know, if you have a, a, you know, if you have a liver problem, you want to get to that liver specialist, right? That's the paradox about healthcare is people think that the specialists are more expensive. Um, you know, Atul Gawande, who I love his books, but he just came out with an article talking about primary care. And yes, we need primary care doctors, of course, but- Medicine's become so complicated that I, I really believe the role of specialty care needs to increase because paradoxically, it's actually less costly in many cases because we, we actually order less tests. We just have a gestalt for what the problem is. So that 
genesis of, of kind of me building this center where patients come here, they park right here. I'm looking at the parking lot. They walk in and they, they get the right care. And that's become um, almost an ethereal, nebulous kind of thing to achieve nowadays. And it shouldn't be that way. Well, and I see that your uh, clinic is strategically located by the Mi- Miami International Airport. Is that to make it easy for people to fly in and see you, I'm, I'm assuming? Yeah, um, that that was definitely in my mind, but I'm also in, in very centrally located now. It's a small city uh, called Doral. It's just west of the airport. It's right near the Trump Doral Hotel. <laughs> uh, and uh, the interesting thing is it's in the, the only real industrial area of Miami-Dade County, so I'm literally minutes away from a bunch of manufacturing facilities. There's about 400 aviation companies here. There's 100 flower businesses, flowers that come in from Latin America and they get packaged here. So all these, at least for me as a hand surgeon, typically only work a few minutes from here. Just makes sense. Uh, Before I was in a very residential part near one of the big hospitals, but most of my patients were traveling to get there. So it just... This, this location really makes a lot more sense. Episode 42, a clinician's perspective on healthcare with Alejandro Badia, MD, part two of two. And I think that, that requires the public talking about it. I mean, if we could talk about the problems in healthcare as much as we did about, you know, something as, as unfortunate as racial injustice, but, but think about how much it's on the public mind now. Now, I'm not suggesting that we burn or break windows, right? But I think that we, we really need to talk about this on social media. And I can tell you that I, I have a Facebook a group called Healthcare from the Trenches, and I'm trying to encourage this banter. And believe me, there are people who certainly disagree with me, but that's great because that encourages us to dialogue and learn and improve because the status quo is, is just not acceptable. This week's episode is part two of my interview with Dr. Alejandro Padilla. Dr. Padilla is an orthopedic surgeon focusing on hand and upper extremities based out of Miami, Florida. He operates Padilla Hand to Shoulder Center, the Surgery Center at Doral, and Ortho Now, an immediate orthopedic care center. During the pandemic, he finished his book called Healthcare from the Trenches, an insider account of the complex barriers of the U.S. healthcare from the providers and patients perspective. His goal is to generate awareness and educate us on how insurance companies and government regulation are causing healthcare costs to skyrocket and how it affects a clinician's ability to provide us care. Well, I want to discuss this cost savings analysis that you provided to your local government, which I thought kind of puts the nail on the head, you know, with regard to the cost savings that can be achieved through going directly to the right physician or, you know, going through the current system. And, you know, you talk about this, it's de Quervian's tendonitis, and you show the example that the traditional system goes through the primary care, which puts them through months of therapy, which is painful and not helpful. And then, you know, going into a clinic like your orthopedic urgent care slash ER, there's a cost savings and, and that's pretty significant. I mean, the traditional system, it was, you could save the county of Miami almost $10 million a year in the city of Miami, 1.3 million. I mean, that's insane. And that, and that's just with the workers' compensation. So if you look at just in general, you know, employer health, so just the employees in both those government entities, you know, little Johnny gets hurt playing soccer. There's a cost associated with that. Not to mention that, you know, mom or, or dad may take a half a day off of work 
to take that kid to the uh, doctor. And many times here in Miami, they'll go to the children's hospital and then they'll, they'll, be, they'll they have to go to the orthopedist. The orthopedist is two weeks out with appointments. I mean, it's a mess. But the numbers I stated are, are actually well-researched by our team. And um, what, it, what it's basically said is that if all of the work comp claims, the orthopedic claims for our county and the, main, the largest city in Miami-Dade County, which is, which is Miami, if those workers came to a specialized orthopedic walk-in center like, like ours, as opposed to a general urgent care, the hospital, an occupational health center, which is where most of them go to because they have a contract. I mean, the occupational health center is staffed many times by a family practice doctor who's making an hourly rate and they're doing the best they can. I'm not knocking them, but it's like you coming to me for an eye problem. I mean, I'm an MD, but I really don't know about the eye. So everybody walks out, unless it's a very obvious injury, these workers come out with these, like uh, all the time, a shoulder sprain. Look, I'm a shoulder surgeon. I don't even know what that means. I know what an ankle sprain means. It really isn't a shoulder sprain. It's not really even an entity, but it's just a very general term. They'll give some, you know, an anti-inflammatory, they'll order therapy. And all of a sudden that's money. So the decrovanes is a type of uh, tendonitis. Uh, some people call it mommy wrist because you'll see it actually postpartum. So a lot of women will have this and they think it's from picking up the baby uh, or workers think it's from doing heavy work. It's usually a, a hormonal metabolic problem. The, the tendons get a little bit thickened and swollen and they get stuck. So an astute clinician who sees this all the time knows that in 85% of the cases, a single injection of a cortical steroid will resolve the problem within two days. But most of these patients come in with an MRI where <laughs> my med tech knows, oh, Dr. B, there's a, there's a decorvase patient, the syringe is ready for you in the ultrasound room. Boom. She knows that. But no, they, these patients come to me or to even to the ortho now after eight weeks of treatment where they're not any better. They've had an MRI. They've had therapy. And at that point, many times now they do need a minor surgery because they don't respond as well to the injection as if they had been seen early in the course of the tendonitis. That's just one clinical example that outlines the issue. And then we looked at the number of work comp claims. And that's, that's how these numbers got calculated. And they're actually very conservative. I mean, they're very conservative. It's unbelievable the amount of money that's spent because the people in charge of this simply aren't listening to us. And we're trying to tell them, look, we're in the trenches. We understand this. The patient, if they went to the right person early on, they'd be off work for less time. We would expend less resources. And, and you know, the human factor, which is the part I care about as a doctor, it's very painful for me to listen to somebody who's had shoulder pain for five months. And they said, you know, doc, I kept asking them to send me to the specialist. And now they do. And the person who makes the decision is a insurance adjuster sitting maybe in Orlando or, or somewhere else in the country. That's really how medicine's being practiced. And I think people don't understand that. Episode 46, the story of an entrepreneur wound care clinician and property owner with Jonathan Johnson, MD. To be perfectly honest, Trisha, the one thing that I wish I would have done differently is that I did a lot of moving, quote unquote, moving and shaking at one time. You know, I literally, you know, purchased a couple things all at the same time, which I, in retrospect, I shouldn't have done because it just takes a lot out of you and it puts a lot of stress on you. The other thing I would make sure that you focus on as far as building and having your own space is start 
small with any type of changes that you're doing. I went gun ho and just did a huge build out and elaborate this and elaborate that, which I should have just, you know, painted the walls one year, did the floor the next year, did some countertops, you know, that third year until you get to the point where it's not affecting your cash flow because now you have to make sure you're taking care of every single one of your liabilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just helps alleviate stress and, you know, just you know, working hard and praying about it is really <laughs> literally the only way I've made it through and having a great team. But I would definitely say buy the building, 100% get your space and then start small with your projects for renovations or, or upgrading or making the office more aesthetically pleasing instead of doing it all at once. Today, I interviewed Jonathan Johnson, a private practice physician based out of Washington, D.C. He is a wound care doctor, and he owns and operates two private practices, Comprehensive Wound Care Services and Capital Aesthetic and Laser Center. We walk through his journey from medical school to private practice and why he owns the property where he operates his practices out of in the Foggy Bottom area of Washington, D.C., He shares with us the changes he has made to his practice to adapt to his patients' needs, a strategy to grow in the future based on where healthcare is heading, and we discuss the value he places on educating others on wound care to achieve the best outcome. So a warm welcome to Dr. Johnson, and I hope you enjoy the interview. Thank you. Jonathan, welcome to the Providers, Properties, and Performance Podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So tell me about your two private practices, comprehensive wound care services mm-hmm. that you called, I think, Dr. Wound and, um, and Capital Aesthetic Laser Center. And you're all based in Washington, D.C., right? Yes, 100%. So Capital Aesthetic and Laser Center, we are a aesthetic-based clinic. I am in the aesthetics and wound care uh, specialty practice. So we have an in-office aesthetics practice where we do non-invasive aesthetic procedures, and we also have an in-office wound care practice. We have a telemedicine-based wound care practice, which is under the moniker Dr. Wounds. And then we also have a mobile wound care service where we round in different nursing homes and take care of patients that have issues with wounds at those facilities. So it's a little uh, little extensive, but you know we like challenges. So why did you choose the location you did for your practice, the physical location you have for your clinic? You know, typically wound care clinicians focus on taking care of patients uh, in either wound care clinics or they take care of patients in nursing homes, long-term care, et cetera. We had a really large following of patients that were being discharged and wanted an office-based resource where they could come and continue their care and we could have a great continuity of care. So we picked the foggy bottom area of Washington, D.C., Uh, It's a great area. We are literally right across the street from the George Washington College campus. So that is a great resource for our aesthetics and some of our facials and some of our non-invasive procedures. Uh, And we're also five blocks away from GW Hospital. So some of our patients, once they're discharged, they can come see us as well. We strategically located our office in a medical-based building. So the majority of the tenants that are in this building are medical-based, so it's a great referral source for us and for others that are specialists in the field. 
Very nice. That's common. I think when you're you're locating a medical practice, you don't want to have to have your patients go through law firms or title companies. And oh yeah, definitely. You know. <laughs> of course, hundred percent. They they don't want to. We don't want. We want to stay as far away from law firms as possible. That's a bad word in healthcare law firms. <laughs> you don't want to talk about malpractice insurance. <laughs> no, no, knock on wood, knock on wood. Uh, I'm currently practicing in D.C., Virginia, Maryland, and New York. So malpractice insurance is ridiculous, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) That is crazy. Tell me about that. So how do you practice in all of those states? Well, I'm licensed in 11 different states. And the majority of the reason that I'm licensed in 11 different states is because our wound care practice continues to expand. And we want to make sure that we have a footprint in states that need our help. And in order, obviously, to do business in those states, you need a medical license. Uh, So that's number one. Number two, with the COVID outbreak, we're able to service patients from a telemedicine-based standpoint. And in order to service those patients, uh, in the future, I feel that you're going to need a medical license in that specific state, regardless if you're physically there or if you have a physical location in that specific state. Currently now, CMS allows you to see patients cross state lines, Uh, but I think when everything gets back to normal, those regulations will tighten just a little bit, but still allow us to practice across state lines from a telemedicine standpoint, as long as you have a license. I think that's a great vision. It's great because it allows you to grow and expand and scale, and it also helps you to be able to see as many people as you can and provide the best care. Absolutely. It's interesting. My my last interview um, was with a woman who she does a lot on thought leadership, and she was discussing mm-hmm. how practices adapting to the new healthcare economy, where consumerism by patients is increasing, you know, based on you know more healthcare costs being transferred to them. So, you know, I see that you do a lot with educational videos um, yes. and outreach and everything for helping your patients have a resource, I think, either Mm -hmm. to learn about you before they become a patient or after they become a patient. And you also provide that education, you know, to other clinicians and I think for your facilities that you partner with. So so what made you think of putting that out there in order to, to help expand your business? So education is key. And I think that education is something from a healthcare standpoint that needs to continually be passed down or spread, you know, everyone needs to have correct education and the most recent education because you want to make sure that the patients have the best care they can. The whole educating and wanting to educate comes from my mom, who was a educator. Uh, She's a Fulbright scholar and was a Spanish professor for a while. My grandfather was a teacher and a lot of the My family members are from teachers on my father and my mother's side. So it's kind of an intrinsic quality. But to be perfectly honest, Tricia, the most important thing with education is your confidence in what you know. Because if you can teach someone in two minutes exactly what the concept that you're trying to convey to that specific person or patient, then you really know it. Episode 25 Increasing health span, one starfish at a time, part one of two. I just had a vision of what I wanted to do. And for me, it was was having this health center. What did that look like? I I wasn't sure. And that's why I called it Prime Chiropractic Health Center. And I knew 
there's going to be additional things besides chiropractic, you know, that it's allowed me to create that vision and find my purpose, you know, what's my purpose. And then once that's figured out, create a vision to uh, fulfill that purpose. And to me, it's, it's like having that North star, you're going to have storms that come and they're going to throw you off course, but it's like, I can always look back at that North star and go, okay, just reset the sails. And, and this is where I'm going. Today's episode is the first part of a two-part interview with Dr. David Perrine of Perrine Chiropractic Health Center, where he shares his journey to healthcare after switching careers. He discusses his vision for his private practice, where he holistically diagnoses his patients to get to the root source of their symptoms to increase their health span, and how he is helping his patients listen to what their bodies are saying to them. In the second part of the interview next week, David introduces us to how he became involved in a CrossFit gym to create a community focused on improving their mental, physical, and emotional health, and we learn more about him and his leadership vision. Well, David, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you, Trisha. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. I am impressed by your commitment to wellness and finding the the source and, and causes of issues. And a lot of people come to you with physical ailments, but you try to figure out, you know, what are the other things mentally or emotionally might be going on. I just have to ask you, though, I mean, how many patients come to you, first-time patients, and they say, you know, I've, I've heard of you, you've helped a friend of mine, and I have this constant chronic pain, fatigue, or other illness. I have been poked and prodded. I have all these tests. Nothing is physically, I'm not being diagnosed with anything physically wrong with me, but I don't feel good. Uh, it's unfortunately very common. And um, I think the sad part is for so many patients that it becomes their problem where I think sometimes there's, there's an arrogance where if I can't figure it out, if I can't provide you a diagnosis, then it's got to be your problem, where it's just a matter of maybe being outside your scope, but not looking in the right place. I think that's the, that's the real key. And for me, it's, it's listening is, is the absolute key. Uh, I remember early on in my training uh, being taught your diagnosis is made in your consultation. So just sitting down and listening, that, that provides me a tremendous amount of information. And then I can start digging in a little bit deeper, looking into, just as you said, mostly the, on, on the physical side, but also are there stress issues going on? Are there nutritional issues uh, that, that need to be addressed? So looking at the, at the whole picture, it's not really one area. And I think we have a tremendous healthcare system here. You know, if I had a, a serious illness or a trauma, there's no other place that I'd rather be. But we really don't do a very good job at these chronic types of, of issues that are multifactorial. Uh, we're so specialized. So really looking, it's sort of an over overutilized term, but uh, the holistic side versus the reductionistic side. So if you think of a reductionistic model, you go to your doctor and you have a list of fibrin symptoms, you know, shortness of breath, uh, some digestive issues, maybe some, some dermatological issues, you're not sleeping well. Well, all of a sudden you're going to get a colonoscopy, you're going to get a full cardiac panel. There's all these things. And not that those things are bad, but they're really not 
going to find the underlying cause of, of most of those issues. So uh, it's really trying to look at that at that big picture, that 30,000-foot view, and then coming down and understanding the fact that everybody is different. Every patient is unique. And, and I think that is one of the things that I've learned most over, over the years is to, to really understand. And I, again, I had another great teacher who, who, who taught us that the, your patients didn't read the medical books. So they're not going to come in with A, B, C, D, E, and here's your diagnosis. You know, they're coming in with a wide variety of things and you just really have to listen and play your Sherlock Holmes. But it's funny you say that because I actually think that in my vision of proving healthcare for whatever it's worth, uh, you know, I really think that having a better concentration on preventative and functional health to try to, at least if there is something wrong, narrow it down to what it is. Because then the specialist, you know, they're they're paid for not necessarily spending all of that troubleshooting time with the patient, but they are paid for having a somewhat an idea of the target zone. And then that's when they can actually add their value and solve the problem. And then, you know, the patient goes into rehabilitation. And I think that it needs both people because you can't, it's, you don't want to go to a specialist saying, I, I have pain and I don't know what's wrong because they are not paid to spend the time with you. No doubt. No doubt, Tricia. And that's where to me, it's really looking at things uh, from, a, from a team approach. So if you come in to see me and I sit and I listen to you and I look over your history and, and you know, we, we try to do a very detailed history, there's two things I have to be thinking about. Is this a disease or is this a dysfunction? So you know, someone coming in with what we call some red flags, you know, I've, I've, I've been losing weight, I haven't been trying to, I've got a lot of pain in my abdomen you know, those kind of things. I've had a little bit, bit of blood when, when I go to the bathroom. Now, that to me is, hey, there's potential disease. That's where we send to the specialist, but that's rare. Right. Uh, most people are dealing with dysfunction. Things just aren't working right, and there's imbalances. Episode 26, Increasing Health Span, One Starfish at a Time. Part two of two. I hope it becomes more of the norm, Tricia. I think what's exciting is you're really seeing this movement in the medical community as well, where, you know, when we talk functional medicine, this isn't necessarily a chiropractic, naturopathic. There's, there's a, a large group of medical professionals who are driving this as well. And that just adds credence to what we do. You know, it's still, unfortunately, an insurance-driven model. My hope is that we're going to see more incentive on the wellness and health side. Welcome to the second part of a two-part interview in this episode featuring Dr. David Perrine of Perrine Chiropractic Health Center. We discuss the vision for the future of healthcare where preventative and functional medicine providers work in partnership with specialists to provide better healthcare for patients and ideas for insurance companies to potentially lower the cost of healthcare. In the first part of the interview in episode 25, David shared how he is trying to help one patient at a time where his health philosophy is to educate his patients to help themselves by treating the root causes of healthcare symptoms and how he invests in himself by owning the real estate where he operates his private practice. So you have your private practice, and then you also um, are involved in a CrossFit gym. So how'd you start going in that direction? 
like I said, I've always been involved in fitness. The gym is actually in our church, which is really cool. Oh, it's actually a part of your church, like a building in it your is. church campus. Oh, okay. It literally is. So, and we transitioned this space into this CrossFit gym. One of our ministers, he was into fitness as well. And, and we trained together for a number of years. And there was a, a, another minister who came in and he actually was involved with special forces, uh, the, the army Rangers. And, uh, they're similar to the Navy SEALs. So, uh, they are a special breed. Well, he came back one time and he was talking about this workout regime that they're doing. And our minister had, had always been interested in creating this wellness ministry. So we started up this CrossFit gym at, at the church and I am the, uh, the wellness coach there. So, you know, we'll do nutritional talks and, and, and things, but it's just really what I love about it is it, it's, it's focusing on fitness, but it's really about building community. You know, there's a lot of people, you go to the gym, you park, you go in, you check in and you leave, you know, and you've got your headphones on and, and you're, you're focused where for us, you know, it's having that community. So misery loves company. So, you know, we might have 15 people in a workout and everybody's cheering people on and, you know, we'll, we'll hang out afterwards and talk. So it's just really a great social side of it. So when we look at the physical, nutritional, emotional, spiritual, it, it really has served many purposes. And it's been fun too, to see people who have really changed their lives by becoming members of, of, of our gym, not just from a fitness standpoint, but they've really, they're taking so much better care of themselves emotionally. Uh, they're eating better. You know, they have better relationships. It's, it's amazing how these things just sort of, sort of spill over. It's not about like for me, my workouts are not about my cholesterol or my blood pressure. Those are just sort of added benefits. It's really about the emotional side of what my workouts do for me and how they energize me and, and, and make me, uh, they, they fuel me. That'd be nice when we can work out and groups again. <laughs> I know, I know, I know this is, this has been really hard for everybody, you know, but, but I, I just tell them, it's like, you know, we, we hang on and, and what we're going to do is, you know, we have, we have a couple options. We can, we can just sit and, and really complain about what's going on with the pandemic or look at it and go, my gosh, I cannot believe how much I took for granted. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity you know, when we can go out to dinner without thinking about it, when we can, you know, go to the gym and sit around and, and just talk, it's, it's like, you know, we've taken those things for granted. So I wouldn't wish this pandemic <laughs> on, on us or anybody, but it's how, how are we going to process this? And to me, I'm really, I'm finding that I'm using this as a tool. We can use it as a setback or a setup. So to me, it's like, okay, this is an opportunity for me to set up what's coming. I don't know when. Is it, is it three months? Is it six months? Is it a year? I don't know. But one thing I do know that this will pass. I mean, it's just, it, it's just a matter of time. So, you know, I am looking at it and going, okay, what, what have I taken for granted? What are some of the things that I can do differently? I think of from a healthcare standpoint, it's like, gosh, I think there's going to be a lot of people who are very interested in 
healthier lifestyles and, and nutrition and things like that. And so I've got to be ready to provide those services for those people. So there's definitely opportunity out there. I'm grateful for you tuning in to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast with others. As a disclaimer, this podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only and not intended for specific real estate investment advice.